as we're doing that, there is an insert this morning that we're, I want you to invite you to pull out that has our text, and we're going to actually do some work with the text this morning, Luke chapter 10. It's a follow-up with um, what Jordan started last week, something that he and I talked about doing that for a couple of um, weeks we wanted to, ah, there we go, thank you, sir. And he thought we had talked all that through back there earlier. Uh, wanted to have a challenge to get into the word more and more deeply and wanted to kind of demonstrate what that looks like. He, he did a good job of that last week. We're gonna do more of it this week. What we're gonna do is what's called manuscripting if you have an intervarsity background. Um, in intervarsity Christian fellowship groups, they do this every week when they get together. We're trying to do this a lot more with the international students on Sunday mornings. Um, but I love doing this and hopefully in, in doing it with us, you'll be challenged to get into the word more, perhaps in this kind of a way. Um, let me do, say one thing. Um, I am gonna be teaching through the text also, sharing with you nuggets I got in the interpretation phase. What I was asking you guys to do is mainly observation, interpretation follows. So please don't get discouraged if I say something about the text and you're like, I, didn't, I don't see that there in the English because that's like the next step. And at some point, we'll do a, a sermon while I'll actually teach you kind of the five parts of that step. Um, but our desire is that we just, um, people getting excited about the word and wanting to get in it. And then one final thing, we do expect participation last week. Uh, Jordan did that last week and pretty good. Where's, is Gracie here? Okay, Gracie, because I need you. She was awesome last week. In fact, I wanted to have all the kids in here because I, I learned that the, the children are the ones who are most willing to jump in. But I, we, I would, there's some things I'm gonna ask you to give back to me, so I do invite you to be brave and, uh, and um, participate with it. So um, I did send homework home, we did last week. Just for me, for my future reference, uh, just no, no judgment, honestly, how many people actually did sat down and worked through the text last week? Okay, that, that. Like this morning? Yeah, okay, if it was, and how many this week worked through the text? Awesome. <laughs> so, okay, so uh, I'm really counting on you guys to, to give me some input. Um, and, yeah, I, I uh, let me start with this. Um, yeah, last week Jordan threw in a Maggie picture under the guise of an illustration. Uh, so I'm just throwing in a picture of my family just to do it. So no <laughs> illustration. <laughs> just there they are. Can we, read, um, can we read the scripture? Can we stand as we read the word of God? And here is what the word of God says in Luke chapter 10 verses 38 to 42. As Jesus and his followers continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that sis 
just sits here while I do all the work myself. Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but there is only one thing that is essential. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will never be taken away from her. And this is the word of the Lord. And of everything that's said this morning, that's the only thing that is 100% guaranteed uh, to be from God. So that is the most important part of this morning. So you may be seated. Um, Last week I had asked, or when we sent the homework, one of the things we do that's really important is looking for repeated words is important in understanding a text. So, by the way, if you've got a pen, I, actually, I encourage you to grab it. I'm just curious, what were some of the repeated words that you guys saw um, as you looked through this? Don't be afraid to shout it out. Pardon? Her. Okay. And, yeah, so some of the, if you don't mind, I don't want to sound like a bad teacher guy, so let, I, what I want to do is focus a little bit more on words that are a little more unusual or unique, because there are a lot of these and hers and some things like that. Um, sister. So we see sister more than one time? Where is sister? I see sister in... Okay. Good job, Gracie is, that was Gracie, right? Good job, what else? Pardon? Martha occurs two times, actually three, four, okay. (laughs) You can tell I did my homework. (laughs) We'll come back to Martha in a minute, what else? Things, okay, I know it's here and, and there's a thing there's the thing. Lord, is, is, this is kind of an intimate text. It occurs three times, if I remember right. And forgive my shaky handwriting. My handwriting is looking more and more like my grandmother's letters. What else did you see? Okay. So me, my, I, myself occur a lot. Huh? Those are all Martha. Okay, so I, right now, I'm not going to do all of those, if you don't mind, but that's, a, that's actually a really good point, the whole thing. I remember when we did this with the students, that came out, that Martha used a lot of me, my, I language. Very interesting, so take a note. Um, just a few more words that you see. Okay, sat and sits. Okay, said. I see in 41, and I have, uh, this thing's going to get really marked up, so I've got to be careful with how much ink I put on here. So said occurs, that where else? Yeah, so she came to Jesus and said, and then the Lord said, okay. What the Lord said. What else? All, Yes. And the one I remember Michelle Webster found was came, came, come. So I think I'm gonna stop there if you don't mind. I'm just curious for those of you who did the work, I asked you to star what you thought was the most important thing in the text. Can I just have a few things? 
just looking at this, what, what would you say is the most important thing in the text? Stands out to you, leaps out. Distracted, worried, upset. Only one thing is essential. Mary's chosen what's better. What else? Okay, listening. Cayenne, what'd you say? What is better? Sat at the Lord's feet. Never be taken away. Wow. Like, we could star the whole text. Let's just do that right now. This whole text is awesome. Star, okay, we should pray and go home. <laughs> okay, um, all right. I'm gonna, so I'm gonna talk through this somewhat and mark it up, um, if you don't mind, but great job. Um, yeah, later, I want you to show me all the eyes and my's and me's and stuff, because I wanna, I wanna see those. Martha, I mean, you can just tell from the story it's pretty clear she's overly busy. Would you not agree? It's pretty clear. We'll see in a few more minutes the details. And, but I don't want to be hard on her. When we come to this, let's not be too hard because number one, um, we know from, from Luke or John 12, one to two, that she's probably the matron of the home, probably the older sister. It is culturally hospitality is important. It's her job to provide hospitality. It's also her sister's job to help out. But, I mean, it is something she's asked to do. And I think she wanted to, to do something impressive for Jesus, don't you? Not bad motivation. So we shouldn't be too hard on her. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is what she was doing was unnecessarily excessive and she was too involved in it, right? And so, Scott, if you don't mind, I had asked you guys to bracket the things that describe Martha. What were the phrases that describe Martha? Scott, you said them. Okay, she distracted, worried, and upset about many things. Distracted, worried, and upset about many things. Interestingly, this, all the preparations, in Greek is many services. I just thought that was really interesting. She was doing many services um, and she ended up becoming, as Scott's pointed out, she was distracted. In Greek, it means to be pulled apart in many directions. Kind of makes you think a little bit about, well, this is really weird. Uh, in England, what they used to do, they'd tie somebody up to a horse and, what was that called? Huh? Drawn and quartered. She was internally drawn and quartered. Um, she was distracted. And this whole worried and upset, it, it's... The NIV, I mean, the New American Standard, it's worried and bothered. She was frenzied in her spirit. spirit. Fretting and fussing is what the New English Bible says. Um, especially this word upset um, is a really strong word. It, the root of it means a tumult or an uproar. So it's to be inwardly turbulent, to be thrown into a tumultuous clamor internally, to become extremely agitated. Um, and also, what I really find interesting is, um, in Greek, this word worried is active. We're going to talk more about active and passive in a minute. That's supposed to be a little truck. The, the word upset is passive, and what it indicates is, 
is that when you become worried, when, when a person starts becoming anxious and worried, this inward tumult, tumult or what, this clamor going on, it'll hitch its wagon to anxiety every time. It's just, I just think it's kind of a cool thing. Um, it'll always hitch its wagon. And because she was so busy, she had no time for the most important thing, which was what? Which was Jesus being in his presence. It, her preparation spent little time to spend with him, and wouldn't you say his preference would have been that he have her fellowship? That's what he would have preferred. And so she was missing out, not only on the thing he most longed for, but she was missing out on the thing that she most needed, right? She could have done a simple meal. That would have done. Jesus would have been happy with a bag of popcorn and a Mountain Dew, don't you think? Or uh, just order out for pizza with Mountain Dew, right? Um, something that would have given her maximum time to, to be with Jesus, and so as a result, what, what's Martha do? She gets agitated and she becomes angry, right? And she gets so upset, eventually, she, she's upset at her sister, and I think she's upset at Jesus that she goes to Jesus. I'm not sure if that's passive-aggressive, if she's really talking to her sister through him, but she goes to him and she's like, Lord, don't you care? Pretty strong statement, right? Don't you care that my sister just sits here while I'm doing all it's the word services again. I'm doing all these services by myself. And in Greek, that by myself is in bold. Don't you care about that? Interestingly, this question in Greek, it's really clear the expected answer is yes. Oh, yes, I do care. Mary, get in the kitchen. That's what she's wanting and hoping that he'll say. So she's not happy with this. Um, but I love his response. And so somebody had said, Martha, yeah, look at that. I, I just love, uh, I love this response. He says, Martha, Martha. In, in Hebrew culture, oops, I just went backwards. Here we go. In Hebrew culture, this was just a simple way of saying, dear Martha, it's, it's just full of love. No judgment. Just dear Martha, honey, sweetie, right? You're worried and upset about many things. As Eugene Peterson puts it, you're fussing far too much and you've gotten yourself all worked up. And so he's just calling her to the big thing, the important thing. And what is it that he's calling her to? Instead of being all worried and worked up, he's calling her to what? What's he calling her to? Rest in him. What's that? I, oh, himself. Yeah, specifically, because we haven't done this yet, we're going to look in a minute at the buts because the contrasts are really important. The contrast is, instead of many things, he's calling her to what? The one thing. The one thing. He's calling her to the one thing. And what is the one thing? I'm curious. I agree with people. This one thing is, I think, really important. This what is better I think that's an extremely important thing. Tell me, in the text, if I were to draw an arrow, what's the one thing? Sit at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, right? That is the one thing, sitting at his feet. And that's the thing that who is doing? Mary, that's what she's doing. I wanna tell you something really important about this. This phrase, sit at the Lord's feet, or sit at the feet of, 
is a technical word in Hebrew society, and it meant to become an official, to become a disciple of a person. You see it in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, where we're told that Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was the disciple of a rabbi. So this doesn't just mean, it, it, it doesn't just mean she's sitting at his feet. In fact, the normal position of a person in, in a conversation would be reclining. They reclined on couches. So it, it's not necessarily even meaning she was literally sitting. It's, it's what it's saying is she had made the decision to become his disciple, which, by the way, um, I will just throw in, shows the extreme importance of women to Jesus because in his culture, not just Jew, in Jewish culture, in Greco-Roman culture, women could not be learners could not be disciples of a rabbi. So he has a very high, high level of, of high view of women. So Mary, he is allowing to sit at his feet to actually take the position of an official disciple. And specifically of Mary, let's look at her for a minute. I asked you guys to put parentheses around the things that tell us about Mary. What, what do we see about Mary? You know, and we did forget something about Martha up here. Martha did welcome him, didn't she? Okay, what about Mary? What do you see about Mary? What's that? Sat at his feet, listening to what he taught, so she's taking the position of an official disciple, learning from him. What else? Has chosen what is better. Yeah, those are the two things that it says, that she's become a disciple and she's chosen what is better. It's really cool, this word, what is better, this what in, um, I don't even have a place to write this on here. In Greek is the word portion. Oops, wow, I totally closed that, Nate. How did I do that? And now I've lost probably everything I did. Um, I hope you were getting all that, so, because uh, it's all gone now. Okay, note for second service, don't do that with the word what. It's, it's the word portion, and it's actually a food word. Eugene Peterson, not just Eugene, but Jesus, here's what he's saying. Uh, she's chosen the better portion of food. That Jesus, in effect, is saying this. The truth is, Martha, Martha, listen, the real banquet going on here is the one I want to serve you. Mary has chosen the best dish of all, so you please come to the table. And that's why Eugene Peterson, I think, nailed it in the message when he wrote, one thing is essential and Mary has chosen it. It's the main course. Isn't that cool? It's the main course. And the main course is me. I'm sitting here. Now, let's get practical. Tell me, now that I've lost all this stuff, now I don't know what to do with this. This one thing, um, what do you, give me some other words to describe it one thing like what does that mean to this one thing what's the one thing what do you think is the one thing I just want to hear some ideas huh what God's truth worship do what okay relationship and let's think of it specifically in this context relationship with Jesus who said that nice addition right in this context because the one thing is sitting at his feet right so worship of him, give me some other things related. Being a disciple, a follower, learning from him, not just learning but listening and not just listening but a following, obeying him. Seek first the kingdom of God, the one thing, right? 
living for the, his will, for the advancement of the kingdom, living for his pleasure, living for his glory. These are all ways of talking about the one thing, right? Living to make him famous. So that's what, that's what Mary was doing, is that the Lord had first claim on her life, and she had chosen that. It was her first duty, and it was her highest pleasure. Let me speak to an issue here for a minute, if you don't mind. And now I'm going to come back to all these butts. There's three of them. Do you guys see all the butts? Where's the other one? Okay, here it is. Before applying this, here's what I want to do. Um, I want to talk about a false dichotomy, an error that people frequently and easily conclude from this text. And this is so important, I'm going to kind of stick to what I wrote on this. Is that okay? This story has been misunderstood to be about two personality types. The difference between the Marys in the world, who we would all cheer and applaud, the valiant contemplative, people that are quiet, reflective, that are pulled naturally to quietness and stillness. And then there's Martha, who we would all boo, right, in this, in this view. Um, she's the doer, the person who's busy, active, and achieving. So for all of us, all the people that are contemplatives, that's great, right? This story's great for us. But if you're a doer, an activist, this story's not so good. But if you'll forgive my directness, that view is totally false. There's a lot of problems with it. I want to hit a few. Number one, we don't even know that Mary was a contemplative. It doesn't say that. There's nothing that says that. Um, So we're not even told that that was her personality type. Second, as somebody said, there are these pesky places all over the Gospels where Jesus is doing quite a lot, actually, and he's talking and doing, and he's talking about other people doing And he says his food is to do the will of the Father. And he says, my Father is always at work and I'm always at work. I could go through so many scripture, but Jesus' doing was such a huge component of his life, right? A third problem is, is I think it's a misinterpretation, a misunderstanding of this phrase we just looked at, to sit at the Lord's feet. That it it is more implying that she had chosen to be a disciple of Jesus, it's, it, it means intentional discipleship. She had decided to center her life around him. That's what this meant. She had chosen to center her life around him. In Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, the text we'd manuscripted last year, if you remember, the key passage on discipleship. Jesus says, to be my disciple, he says, come to me. And he says, coming to me will entail two things. You will learn from me, and the other thing is what? You will take up my yoke, which means work. You will do my work. So this story is not about the contemplative versus the activist. That's not what it's about. And I think the text and the butts are really helpful. Um, Because when you do the butts, you should be drawing arrows. And so what are the butts? The big difference is between Mary who chooses, we should do that in red, Mary who chooses intentional discipleship and Martha who was what? Really important word. Martha, who was doing many things, but Mary, who was doing the, the one thing, right? The one thing. So this is a story about being centered on Jesus. That's the point. Um, both in my times of quiet activity as well as my times of, of quiet inactivity and my times of vigorous, inact- of vigorous activity, Jesus is to be the center of all of that. Does that make sense? He should be the center of all of my life. 
and it should, he being the center involves my inactivity as well as my activity. You can't put these two things against each other. It's a false dichotomy. It comes from Greek philosophy, this fake division between things that are spiritual and unspiritual that's gotten into Western Christianity but is not biblical at all. Um, and as we're going to see in a minute, what keeps somebody from God's presence is not activity. It's not having lots to do. It's allowing those things to become so much that I become what? Distracted. That's the contrast. Distracted versus somebody, Mary, who decided to sit at Jesus' feet. That is the big contract. contrast. Distracted versus somebody who chose or decided. Um, let me show you something really interesting before we get to kind of an application. This verb distracted in the Greek is passive. I mean, it's passive in English. That's one part of your assignment was, do you see these verbs as active or passive? This is extremely instructive, I think, because what it's telling me is, is life happened to Martha. Her busyness happened to her. And isn't that so true? Isn't it easy for life to happen to us passively? Isn't it so easy to do that we live accidentally? That's kind of how she's living is accidentally. That we let life come, whatever comes to us in the moment, we just do it, right? We just do it, and we allow that to dictate our lives. And so we end up just doing the things that come, and we become distracted, and when we become distracted, we will inevitably become, what? Worried and upset, just like Martha. So the contrast is not, again, between the contemplative and the activist. It's between the distracted life that's full of many things and the decided life that's focused on what? The one thing. And who is or what is the one thing? It's Jesus. Interestingly, these verbs sat, active, listen, active, chosen, active. I find this also very interesting that Mary's, the verbs describing her all active, and what that tells me is, and especially this word chosen, is Mary was living not accidentally but with intentionality. She was living intentionally. She had made purposeful choices as to where and how she was going to live her life. And specifically, she was centering her life around Jesus. This is becoming a big mess, isn't it? Look at that. <laughs> you can't even see the text. So, on the back of your sheet, here's what, Mar here's what Mary knew that's so easy for us to forget. That it's first things first. Right? First things first. That the enemy of the best is not the worst. The enemy of the best the enemy of the best is the, the good. And that the good is bad. The good is actually bad when there's something that's better. And some choose the good, and some choose the best, and that choice makes all the difference in the world. Isn't that true? I, I think those things are so much true. So what about us? What about us? Um... I think most of us, would you say we resonate with Martha more than with Mary? 
I think we live in a busy, distracted culture, always on the move, always trying to get things done. And in our busyness, we become distracted like Martha. How often do we live with good intentions of spending time with Jesus or having daily time with him or having him be the center of our lives, thinking of him throughout the day, only to get at the end of the day and find we've done absolutely none of that? Um, I think it is so easy to let the other necessities of life crowd him out. On the back of your bulletin, there's a box, and in the box, it asks you some questions. Look at those for a minute. The first question is, have you chosen the one thing? Have you chosen the one thing? That is, have you, have you received Jesus into your life? Have you accepted him as the one thing, as your Lord and Savior? Because that's so important, because if I could show you, that is the one thing that I think it was Schuyler, as he said, it will what? It will never be taken away from you. That if you have Jesus, you have something that can never be taken away from you. So have you chosen the one thing? It says next, Mary was focused on Jesus while Martha was distracted with her dinner plans. Spiritually, would you say, you, who are you more like these days? And I want you to check the box. Would you say, you know what, to be honest, these days, I'm more like Mary. Or would you say, nah, I think I'm a little bit more like Martha. You know, you obviously want to do this keeping it private and hidden from those around you. I guess if you, unless you're doing Mary, then you want to hold it out, like do a big, like, hold it up high. And if Martha, if you'd say I'm more like Martha, on a scale of one to ten, I'd like to know how to, I mean, I don't want to know, but for you to think, how distracted are you these days? Would you be the one, like, hey, I'm focused on the one thing, or the ten is like, I am just so distracted by the many things? So, which of those would you circle? And then who or what are the things that are currently distracting you from a proper focus on God? Many times there are some individuals in my life that are the key distraction, and there are things, and I think it's important to identify those things. Who, what, who is the person or the persons that are the most distracting in your life right now, and what are the things? This is, uh, this is what Martha was living. It was the distracted life. It's where Jesus is just one compartment of my life. He gets two hours on Sunday morning, maybe an hour and a half in small groups, might get 30 minutes in the morning, probably gets five minutes of prayer before my meals. But other than that, that's his compartment and that's where he stays. And in every area, other area of my life, he's just not there. He's not present, he's not part of it. And the truth be known that when you live this way, when you live this distracted life, that that compartment over time becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. And it becomes so insignificant that it really doesn't affect the rest of your life. And this was the kind of life that Martha was living. But the kind of life Mary was living was this Jesus-centered life where she was focused on the one thing. And where the one thing, Jesus, touched every el everything else in her life. And let me try to make this practical. I've got a few minutes, and I really want to make this practical because I've been thinking a lot about this. What is it really like to have Jesus at the center of your life, to have him be the one thing? What's, it really, what's that really look like? Not just to say it, but to do it. And I've got a couple of things I've been thinking of. 
about it that I've been trying to do in my own life, in the midst of my activities in my life, how can I keep him sinner? And I think the first thing is, it's the thing you probably expect to hear, but that I am daily spending some time with him, like literally sitting at his feet learning from him. That He's like, in the morning, I am giving him time to, to open the word and to learn from him with an open heart. And I'm taking something from that and I'm applying it to my life and I'm praying through it. And, and then I'm talking to him about my day, that I am giving him time every day. I think that's the beginning of the centered life, okay? That's actually the living room where Mary was. That's the beginning of the centered life. Um, and Jesus is our model here. He regularly took time to be with the Father, to stay centered on him. But Jesus, his life was more than just that, right? Jesus was out in the kitchen a lot. And isn't most of our life in the kitchen where Martha was? Really, isn't most of our life and our day-to-day living the activities of our day? So the question, here's the big question I was thinking about. How do I make sure Jesus is the center of that? Not just that time in the morning, but he's the center of that time. And again, Jesus is so much our teacher here. I, in reading the Gospel of John recently, I was so impressed if you read the discourses in the middle, how many times it's said. He talked about how he was doing the will of the Father. He was obeying the Father. He was yielding to the Father. He lived for the glory of the Father. He wanted to please the Father. And I was so impressed that Jesus in his everyday life, was he was being centered on the Father. And so I really was challenged to like model him. And so here's what I've been doing lately. First, I begin not just in that time with him, but I end that time by yielding and saying, God, I want today to be about you. I want to be centered on you today. I want to do your will today. I want to yield to you today. I want you to become famous through me today. That's what I want. I want to live for you. I want to live for your kingdom. And then as I get up and I go through my life, here's what I've been trying. It's not, it's not easy, but I've been working on it. It's getting better as it goes. There's days I don't do well. But I am increasingly trying to learn throughout today to invite him into everything that I do. Trying, learning to live continually in an intentional awareness of his presence. Trying to make him the center of each activity. And you're like, well, what does that look like? For me, mainly what it's been is, as I'm going to do something, I'm going to go meet a student to have coffee, or I'm going to go do a Bible study, or I'm sitting down to work on a sermon, that I'll sit down first and I'll just say, Lord Jesus, I invite you into this activity. Would you please be at the center of it? I want you famous through it. I want to do it in a way that, that brings your smile. And as I move from task to task, as you move from task to task, just at the beginning of it, just take a minute to offer it to him, to commit it to him, as, the, as it says that, that in each activity, I have been trying, not all the time, trust me, I'll, I'll hit seven activities where I'll be like, I didn't do it with any of them, but, but I'm still working on it. I'm trying to intentionally seek his will, his glory, his pleasure, his presence in everything that I'm doing. I am trying to live the decided life instead of the distracted life. I'm trying to live intentionally instead of accidentally. And I don't know if that's helpful. I mean, that's how I'm trying to make this practical. I'm trying in everything. I'm trying. You hear that word? (laughs) Trying. Or training. Maybe we should talk about training and trying. But I am wanting to do the one thing in everything. I just want it to be about the one thing. I love this quote by Soren Kierkegaard. Simplicity of heart is the ability to will one thing. It, I keep it on my, 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 my weekly schedule that I fill out. Up here on the top right, I have that quote. I have for years. I love this. I am trying, even with my calendar, 
I want to live a heart of simplicity, which means I am living for one thing, and everything I'm doing, I'm living for one thing, and it's for you. So, you think that's something we can try? You think it's something we can try? I, I have one, minor, one other thought I just want to throw in. Uh, two quick ones. One, I am trying now to take a day a month, maybe not even a whole day, half a day, where I sit down and I kind of look at what my schedule and life has been like and asking simply the question, have I been so busy I'm becoming distracted? Is there so much I've been finding myself distracted and living accidentally instead of intentionally? And if that's the case, I'm asking myself, what do I need to get rid of off the schedule? Does that make sense? So I'm trying to do that once a month. One other thing is if there is a particular activity, I tend to find myself getting worried and upset in it consistently. I'm specifically saying, Jesus, I need you in that activity because for whatever reason, I get distracted from the one thing and I get agitated in that. And so that's just a couple of final things. So here's what I want you to leave with today. All right, Mary and Martha, it's not about the quiet contemplative who spends their whole day in the word of God like a monk, you know, in prayer versus the activist who's out doing things for God or whatever. That's not the contrast and it's not the point. The contrast, the point of the story is, is you can live the distracted life, distracted by many things, just living accidentally, or you can live the decided life where you are regularly choosing the one thing and intentionally doing that and living the intentional life. So the fundamental choice in the spiritual life every day, my fundamental choice is will I intentionally keep Jesus at the center today? And the fundamental obstacle to that choice is being distracted by many things. Every day I've got a choice. Am I gonna focus on the one thing? Living intentionally knowing that the greatest obstacle to spiritual life is distraction because of many things. Phillips Brooks said this, the danger facing all of us is not that we shall make an absolute failure of life, nor that we shall be terribly unhappy, nor that we shall feel that life has no meaning at all, not these things. The danger is that we may fail to perceive life's greatest meaning, fall short of its highest good, miss its deepest and most abiding happiness, and be content to have it so, that's the danger. That someday we may wake up and find that always we have been busy with the trappings of life and have really missed life itself. Do you wanna miss life, the fullness of life Jesus offers, the real life it talks about in First Timothy? So here's my challenge. Can we try to take the, seat of the position of Mar- Mary this week, not Martha, of Mary, live intentionally, work at making Jesus the center of everything we're doing throughout the day, deciding to put him first, knowing that the greatest obstacle to following Jesus is distractions, distractions by the many things. So can we all do that? Can we stand? I'd like to invite, to invite, offer you, to invite you to pray with me to conclude. And we're going to finish with a prayer written by Soren Kierkegaard. But would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come to you today with confession on our lips. We identify so strongly with Martha. We find ourselves frequently distracted, 
pulled away in so many different directions by the muchness and manyness of life. Forgive us for the neglect of you, the one thing. Deep in our hearts, we long to be like Mary, but we are ashamed of our lack of desire. Lord Jesus, we want to want you. We long to be filled with longing. We thirst to be made thirsty still. Thank you for your grace and mercy, gently calling us back to yourself. And so we pray, Father in heaven, what are we without you? What is all we know, that vast accumulation though it be, if we do not know you? What is all our striving if we do not know you? You are the one who is one thing and who is all. So may you give to the intellect wisdom to comprehend that one thing, to the heart sincerity to receive this understanding, to the will, purity that wills only one thing. In prosperity, may you grant perseverance to will one thing, amid distractions, collectedness to will one thing, in suffering, patience to will one thing. And all of God's people said, amen. So let's go out and let's live the merry life this week, okay? Intentionally deciding to focus and center our lives on the one thing.